Wow, forgot to record the intro when I had the good mics hooked up, so, <laughs> Tech fan number two. Crap. Second episode of Tech Fan, Tech Fan number two. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the show. Tech Fan is brought to you by MyMac.com. In other words, I didn't go back to that podcast. I started another one here at MyMac. <laughs> uh, but you know, MyMac isn't the only other thing I'm doing on the side. I've also got this little website, and I produce a podcast over there. I'm not actually on the podcast. I'm just the producer, and it's called App Minute, A-P-P Minute.com. And on App Minute... It used to be, at my Mac, we used to have this segment on the podcast called Sam's Cool Picks. And what Sam's Cool Picks basically was, was Sam Levin would pick really cool Mac-related stuff, and uh, we'd have him on the show, and he would tell us about these really cool things. And uh, it was fun. But Sam, I think, is much better as the captain, as the guy who, who sits down, does a quick show, in and out, boom. He's excellent at it. So we started at Minute to give Sam exactly that, uh, an opportunity to do his own show, talking about mobile applications or anything really that's surrounding the mobile space. It could be cases, it could be docs, it could be you name it. If it's mobile, Sam's going to talk about it, and usually just the cool stuff. Sam's not a negative guy. He doesn't want to go find the crap out there. But uh, I thought it'd be fun to bring Sam on here on the first segment of Tech Fan Number 2 and talk a little bit about App Minute and some other stuff. What's up, Sam? Hey, how's it going, Tim? It's been a while since we've actually been on a show together. I know. I mean, we talk probably, what, five times a week at least? Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> and, uh, God, it's been forever. I mean, we used to have you on my Mac every single week, but that yep. kind of fell off. And, uh, you know, with OWC Radio, that wasn't an option. So here I am on Tech Fan doing my own thing again. And, you know, I could bring my friends on, Sam. It's cool. Oh, I know. It's kind of neat. At Minute's been... Uh, uh, a lot of fun because, well, I don't know if the the audience knows this, but if you go to App Minute and listen to any of the segments, uh, especially the iTunes uh, podcast, which is free, of course, everything is done entirely with an iPhone. Well, at uh, least your part. Well, my part, I mean, almost all of it, except for the last few segments, which were interviews um, via Skype, uh, but... 50, 60 segments that I did were with an iPhone 3, 3G, or 3GS, and an iPhone 4, and zero editing. The only editing was that you put a little overlay at the beginning saying, hey, this is a yeah. minute, blah, 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 yep. but nothing else. I didn't, didn't import it into anything, and I just sent you the file. You uploaded it to uh, iTunes, put a little you know, wrapper around it and a little graphic, and that was it. That was it, and it sounds good. I mean, it's, I've never heard a complaint. No, I actually, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, I'm going to test out other things, you know, such as Guitar Jack that's from Sonoma Wireworks, where you can actually plug a XLR mic into your iPhone right now using via the 30-pin connector. That's cool, man. 
I know. It's it, here's the here's the good and bad. Good is you've got now your choice of using your sweet XLR mic uh, or whatever you desire, which mic. The bad is is it doesn't work with an iPhone four. Oh, really? No, it, and they just came out with you know this beautiful. It's really really nice. If you get a, uh, you'll see. On the, in the news, if you just Google Guitar Jack, it's from Sonoma Wireworks. They're the guys that make the app 4Track. Uh, really, really well done uh, music-related applications for the iPhone. And um, But they make this you know, really cool um, jack called Guitar Jack that plugs into the iPhone. Unfortunately, when they were writing this, some things changed with... Uh, the internal circuitry or stuff that was beyond their control. And it happens. That's right. So they said, look, we're going to have an upgrade path to the 4.0. And so you, it does work with a 3 or 3GS. To kind of explain what pe- to people who just don't get what we're, you're talking about here, this right. is a little dongle that plugs into the bottom of your iPhone, not iPhone 4. And then in that, you could plug in a microphone, headphone, Right. Or even, you know, if, if you can support the big plug, what is that? The uh, quarter or half, you know, it's a quarter inch plug. Right. So you can like plug that into an instrument like a guitar. A guitar. You could plug a guitar, but I don't have a guitar. I don't play. But I've got all these beautiful mics that I would love to use. And to, you know, you look very professional as well if you're doing interviews. And I can have a mic flag that says App Minute or whatever it might be. Uh, versus sticking a iPhone, an iPhone, in front of someone. Um, yeah, but, there's the the preconceived notions of he's doing it on his telephone. He can't be a pro. You know? <laughs> exactly. That, that'll change eventually, but it, we're just not there yet. Right. So this company is pushing the boundaries. There are other companies that are doing few kind of like this, but not as well done. Uh, Jim Dalrymple uh, over at uh, The Loop. Uh, is it theloop.com? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I've, we've got him linked at App Minute. We've got him linked at MyMac. It's he's a, it's a good site. He's a good guy. Well, he just did a, a an overview, and he is a guitarist, and he is into music big time. So he uh, did a whole thing and said it was really really good. The bummer is it doesn't work with an iPhone four, but he said he liked it, and he's been using their software for a while. I've been using Four Track as well, uh, and. I mean, they, these guys know their stuff. So anyway, that's some uh, some techie stuff. The reason Chad, or uh, Chad, wow, I don't know where that came from. Probably Geekiest Show Ever, one of the other okay. MyMac podcasts that we produce. All right. Um, one of the things Sam and I were talking about, and I said, hey, you know, back up a little bit. I'm waiting for uh, the guest interview E for this episode uh, to finish up working on his furnace. I guess he's got someone there working on his furnace. His name's J.R. Bookwalter, and... Um, we were supposed to get going like a half hour ago, but you know how when someone's working on your house and yeah, sometimes schedules change, you can't help it. So as I'm waiting for him, I saw Sam on Skype, and that's how we started talking. And you were asking me about an iMac. So what's going on? I thought, I thought you were all set on computers. Why are you thinking about a new iMac? Well, here's the thing. I have a setup similar to you, uh, Tim, I believe. I have a MacBook Pro uh, that's a 15-inch. Yep. It's about... Oh, a year old. Yeah, I about, think it's about a year old. It's a two point um, five say, three. I think. Hold on, it's a two point five three, running the latest OS. Okay, so it's similar. No, it's core exactly two, the same machine I have. Core two, uh, do core two duo, 
four gigs of, of RAM. Okay. It's a great machine. Love it, love it, love it. But if you're trying to crank out video and you're trying to render things, then you need horsepower. Yep. And it's, it's not enough. I mean, it just isn't. And I believe if you're doing simple, simple things, it's fantastic. Some simple light iMovie stuff, fine. But, you know, I'm doing more and more audio, more and more video, uh, and I just want it to be more powerful. The engine needs to be more powerful. So Tim was talking to me about the IMAX and the new ones that are out, and uh, one of them is the new i7 quad-core. Yeah, that's the one I've got on order that I haven't, I don't know when it's going to get here, but I haven't got it yet. So basically, the older Mac Pro, this is basically like a Mac Pro from like a year ago or something like that. Mm, not quite, but yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's very powerful. It's It's got everything. So they, they have a 27-inch version. They, it comes in several flavors, but the quad-core is a powerhouse. I'd be able to use it as my desktop machine. I have my MacBook Pro 15, but I have an iPad. So my iPad will be the travel laptop, so to speak, because I don't need to carry a MacBook Pro. Um, and nowadays, I don't even want to carry a MacBook Pro, you know? So I, I feel like you're in, a, you're in a similar situation, right? I am. Um, the difference is, though, I was doing work away from home in video editing for a while. Right. And it's not really convenient to take my iMac with me. So I was doing it all on the same laptop that you have. And I have to be honest, while it's, it's not a speed demon by any stretch of the imagination... Right. And I was using an external RAID as my scratch disk in Final Cut Pro. Right. So I wasn't writing anything to the internal hard drive. It wasn't bad at all. I mean, right. it, it's more than capable of doing pretty much anything you want to do. But if you're really going to get serious, yeah, you need, you need more horsepower. Well, I, I, I believe it's going to fit my needs better and um, because I'm always just trying to stretch the limits. What I probably going to do is with this macbook pro i'm going to install mce technologies optibay mm-hmm. and that if if you guys don't know what that is go to mce tech i think it's mce tech one or mce tech sorry it's mce tech here just to make sure we give them the right yeah mce tech mcetech.com and check out optibay basically you remove your super drive your internal super drive from your MacBook or MacBook Pro. They give you an enclosure. You place that super drive in the enclosure, uh, you, and it attaches via the USB cable that comes with it. And then you can install up to a terabyte of, of uh, storage inside of your MacBook Pro. Yeah, you can put just about any 2.5-inch SATA hard drive in it. Right, and they including they, SSD. So I mean, you could really turn could, it into a powerhouse. Well, SSD. The advantage of that is that the boot up is incredibly fast and, and, read, and like, launching applications. Launching and, is fast, but yeah. the bad news is you're not going to get the you're not getting a terabyte. You're getting two fifty six five twelve is very expensive. So you have to look at the the cost breakdown and is it is it a cost effective? I say. Use a 750 or a terabyte. The 750s are fast, um, and they have it all on there on the on the um, 
the site. I actually was there when they did an installation with Victor, uh, which uh, Kaheyo. Oh, um, yeah. I know who you're talking about from a typical Mac user. Right. Victor, he he did a whole thing uh, on the OptiBay installation. It was really cool. If you go to... uh, if you go to typicalmacuser.com, you'll see all of his podcasts. He's really, really cool. He's one of our converted uh, Windows people to Mac. Oh, I but, get along great with Victor. Yeah. We, we're, we're dangerous at Macworld Expo. I know. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to probably use the OptiBay, uh, and they send it to you in a little kit and with the tool as well. Uh, MCE has been doing really cool Mac stuff for almost like 14 years or so. So... Uh, almost as long as uh, my Mac has been around. My Mac's been around longer than that. Yeah, we've been around 15 years. 15, yeah. 1995 we started. And right. uh, we are one of the grandfathers of the tech web at this point, really. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, well, Sam, I'm going to cut you off because uh, I know right. our guest has just texted me and said he's all set, so the furnace guy is out of his house. He can record. We'll get all him right. on. But let's get you back on TechFan real soon. I, I will, and... and can we find this show on the podcast on iTunes? Yeah, it sure is. Just do a search for Tech Fan, T-E-C-H-F-A-N. All right, I can't wait. And uh, the website is appminute.com. And, of yep. course, you can subscribe in iTunes. Most of your shows are like three minutes long tops. Three minutes. Sometimes they're a little longer. Sometimes they're two minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so But it's very uh, informative. Usually, Short, quick, informative, in, out, boom. You can listen to literally two weeks' worth and on your way to work. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right, Sam, I'm going to let you go so you can go record some new ones because I don't have anything in the can for uh, you. You'll get some today. Get on it, damn it. All right. <laughs> have a great one. Bye. All right, and I'm back, and I've got my guest this week, J.R. Bookwalter. How you doing? I'm very good. Thanks do, for having me on. Do people actually call you JR? They do, actually. Have you ever been shot? Uh, I have not, but that nickname actually started back in the 70s during that whole Who really? Shot JR Dallas thing. Yeah, the kids in school in junior high realized those were my initials. See, because you're, you're around the stuck. same age as I am. Actually, you're a little bit older. Haha. <laughs> and uh, I'm 44, yeah. Yeah, I'm 40. So, I mean, we grew up at the same time. Yeah. Same but generation. there's a lot of people listening to this are going, what the hell are they talking about? They're probably so, yeah. <laughs> JR, I don't get it. Which is which is bizarre to me because Dallas was such a huge oh my uh, God. event in that day and age. So where did you grow up? What what area of the country? Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. Which is, I'm not too far from there now. I'm still just a just down the road from my old stomping grounds. My uh, my father spent a lot of time uh, pre-Vietnam in Akron, Ohio. So Is that right? Yep, yep. I've been down there a few times myself. I'm actually in Battle Creek, Michigan. Okay, not too far. No, although my job is in Chicago, Illinois, so go figure. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of driving, but... Yeah, Yeah, I should say. You got to do what you got to do. How'd you get into... Well, let's let's back up a little bit. You're you're probably better known in this audience as a writer for MacLife. Yes. Uh, So let's start there, and then we'll work kind of in backwards. How'd you get involved writing about the Mac at MacLife? Um, well, it was something I had been interested in doing. I, I had previously, and, and actually, am still occasionally doing some freelance writing for DV Magazine, Digital Video Magazine, mm-hmm. and that just came about because a friend of mine got hired as the editor, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you know all about this stuff. Why don't you know you're interested in doing this?" And so that lasted. That's been going on for a couple of years, uh, three years maybe. And um, I thought about 
boy, you know, I'd kind of like to expand my horizons and do more of this. But what I'd really like to talk, you know, write about is the iPhone and the i, you know, i stuff and the Mac and all that kind of stuff. Since I'm, I'm obsessed with it and use it anyways, and I happened to follow Mac Life on their Twitter feed, and lo and behold, one day I saw they were looking for freelance um, writers and submitted some samples and. Next thing I know, Roberto Baldwin, who's the online editor from uh, MacLife, came calling, and next thing I know, I, I got hired to, to freelance for him. How do you like it so far? I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's every morning I get up and I write a few posts, and occasionally they throw some assignments, and I'm started to do some reviews and stuff for them, and kind of shifting a little bit into the magazine territory now as well. And uh, no, I mean, it's you know, I, I would have, I, I wouldn't tell this to them at the time but i would have done it for free but the fact that they want to pay me for it hey I'll, I'll, that's even better hey your your content is worth money absolutely and if people yeah, do sure. a search for uh, you on their website jr bookwalter um there's a lot of stuff there man i mean just a ton of stuff it's like when on, do you on sleep? my own on my own website or no at, at mac life i'm looking at this like 4 36 a.m 4 59 a.m <laughs> i'm like when the hell is this guy sleeping well, I think those are Pacific times because I'm on the. I usually write about. I, I'll, I'll be up and at it around 8 a.m. Eastern time. Now, uh, how, I take it you were a longtime reader of their stuff, even before they were Mac Life, back when they were so Mac Attic. Um, yes, of course, yeah. yeah. And I had a subscription to the magazine and all that, so I was definitely familiar with with what they were doing. And um, yeah, the timing was just great. And I think it started last uh, November, so I'm I'm coming up here on the eve of my first year of of doing it, and. Uh, are you going to go lot, to Macworld? Um, I have my patent, the pass reserved, so we'll see. I, the wife and I have been talking about taking a, a trip out there. She's never been to San Francisco. so Oh, that's cool. Have you been yeah. out there before? Uh, I have not been to Macworld. I've been to San Francisco, but yeah. uh, that would be my first Macworld Expo. Oh, it's, you know, I can't say how it's going to be. Of course, this is going to be the second year with no Apple there. Um, yeah, which will be kind of weird, I guess. And that's what I was kind of worried about this year. To be honest, and but I heard it, it went okay. It sounds like oh, it was. Fa- I think it was one of the best Macworlds I've ever been to. Oh. I gotta say, my most, my most favorite. See, my English skills are great today. Uh, my favorite Macworld was probably the 2000, the very beginning of 2000, where we got to see Mac OS 10 for the very first time when Steve uh-huh. Jobs introduced it. Yes, and it was exciting and it was scary and he was using the words like Unix, which Mac users were like, "Yeah, what?" Yeah, because exactly. we'd always made fun of DOS, and all of a sudden you're dropping Unix on us. What the That's hell? That's right. Yeah. So it was scary, but yet it was so cool looking. And I didn't have a machine that would be compatible with it, so I went and bought an iMac just to run the public beta when it came out. Yeah. The second one would have to be 2007 when they introduced the iPhone. It was oh, just, of course, yeah, that it was, was unbelievable. One definitely one of the more exciting ones in recent memory for sure. You know, watching that on stage. Uh, and I was in the audience watching that, but watching Steve Jobs on stage demo the first iPhone was—I I couldn't believe it. I was like, "I, how, why is it 2007 when we're just getting this type of technology?" And uh, and I, yeah, I think that's kind of how he presented it too. Is that it is. Know, why hasn't anybody come up with this before? The market was so wide. Now that you look back on it, the market was so wide open for somebody to do that. Somebody was showing, um, and I think it was. Oh, boy, probably during Fireball. They had this a link to somebody, and it showed what they said about the iPhone then in the competition and what they're saying about the iPad now in the competition. And basically they said, here's the iPhone in, in 2007, 
and what all the critics are saying about it, i.e. no physical keyboard, only one carrier, blah, blah, blah. And here's this competition that showed all these smartphones. And, of course, none of those smartphones exist anymore. Yeah, that's and the then, funny thing. Yes, and here's what the competition is doing now, and it's all these iPhone clones. Yep. And now that then, then you go a little farther below and it says, you know, here's the iPad and here's all the critiques. And it's almost word for word. You know, it's not for professional creative types. It's no keyboard, no mouse. And here's the competition that shows all the little netbooks. <laughs> and, well, and you know, the funny thing about the, the software keyboard, it's like that used to get really grating, like over each, each generation of the iPhone that was introduced. But I think gradually, especially over the last year or so, you hear about that complaint less and less now. Yeah. Because you know, everybody else is doing it. It's the standard. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, if you put the physical keyboard on there, you're going to add bulk. It's... And I, I'll be honest, those keyboards, the physical keyboards, they're just too small for me. I had a Palm Pre for a couple of weeks, and I hated it. The key, I love the phone, but the keyboard just ruined it for me. I was like, there's no way I could ever use this for any. And I mean, not that I would ever leave my beloved iPhone anyways, but... Yeah, uh, still. You know, and the thing was, I always, for, for a, a long time, I wondered, gee, why am I, you know, everybody's complaining about a software keyboard, and I just love the iPhone and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I realized, well, I went from traditional cell phones you know with the t9 keyboard Ugh. and it's from that to the iphone so of course that's like a huge improvement you know i never had a, a smartphone that had a hardware keyboard so i don't know what everybody's missing but my brief experiences with other ones has proven that, that there's no way i i have to have my iphone and and that particular keyboard so the uh, listeners might be surprised on what you're talking to me on right now I'm talking to you on my iPhone 4, as a matter of fact, <laughs> through Skype. This is the, the wonders of modern technology. It's, uh, I have to say, though, the audio quality is great. Well, we got nice, strong Wi-Fi signal here and a pretty decent uh, pair of earbuds. And Are you using the standard ones, or is it a secondary or a third-party pair? Uh-oh. You still there? Wow. We mentioned Skype, and he disappears. At least I can't hear him. <laughs> Oh, there you are. Are you there? Yeah, that was weird. Well, you know, we mentioned Skype, and then you kind of lose the signal there. Oh, you know, and I and it literally, it just said your network speed is poor, your network speed is average. That, that's AT&T U-verse there for yeah, you. They there just you had go. a little dip or something. Uh, you know, that's kind of interesting because my wife and I just replaced one of the cable boxes in our living room, and it's from Comcast. And all of a sudden it's saying we can't get this channel, we can't get that channel, and it, th- it took – almost a week for the box to start working and i'm just sick of it so I we've think been all this technology doesn't like change oh uh, i'm saying but we're we're thinking about switching over to at&t universe because comcast are so arrogant see um, we don't have Com- comcast in my area i hear all this bad stuff about comcast but i've never gotten to experience it firsthand because i lived in la for almost 10 years and they didn't have it out there either and and we didn't have it here so i'm thinking they I, should I, change I, the uh cast part to curse com curse <laughs> that's what it sounds like Every, uh, i don't know anybody that has anything nice to say about it well we went in to replace this box that was in the kitchen one of the cable boxes because it just wasn't working right anymore and we'd had it for like six seven years and they didn't have any new ones nor would they give us a new one and wow. i'm on the phone i'm in chicago talking to my wife as she's there and I tell them, or I ask my wife to ask them, um, we spend almost $300 a month with them, and we don't warrant a, a brand-new box when we request one. And she says it almost word for word, and the woman goes, ma'am, you can either have this box or none. Wow. And I was just like, and my wife said she had her hand on her hip and the little head-shaking thing. And I'm like, you know what? 
there's competition now, and I don't think Comcast realizes that. No, I don't think they do at all. I just, I, you know, the arrogance of some companies just really bother me. That actually and, reminds me of when I, I first got cable service out in L.A., and I can't remember who the provider was now because this was too many years ago, but they came and installed it, and they gave me this. You remember the cable boxes with, like, the wood grain panel? Oh, God, yes. From, like, right out of the 70s. Yes. I mean, it clearly wasn't in anywhere in, like, even that decade. <laughs> no, it's just that full. And it was metal, too. Yeah, Some yeah. Of them, yeah. It's like, oh, man. I don't know why that just made me flash back to that. Yeah, and they were horrible. You remember the old ones that you physically still had? There was no remote control, but you had to change the tier and then push a button. Did you have one oh, of those? Oh, God. Uh, you no, know, I don't think I did, but somebody I knew or somebody in my family actually had one. I do remember using it. We got it because I remember going to cheer, tier number two and then hit number 23, and that was MTV at, at its height. <laughs> so I remember that very well. Well, we've come a long way. Oh, my God. Sounds like technology-wise. But sometimes not always for the best. Um, I personally think most of the programming in the old days were better, but, yeah, they didn't have podcasting. And they didn't have the internet. And we could create our own content now and be the masters of our own destiny. And that, that was just not possible in the 80s and even for most of the 90s. Yeah, that's true. Unless you were a ham radio operator or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but then you're just talking to other ham radio operators. And exactly. And it's very limiting. So we have now. let's go farther back in time with you because you weren't known as a tech writer. You were known as... Well, an independent filmmaker, specifically in the horror genre, horror, sci-fi, fantasy genre. I was going to ask if you have an obsession with horror, because I looked through your uh, IMDb, and it's like scary, 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 scary. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I mean, when I was a kid, I was really into the, before I Before I probably had my technology obsession, because, you know, keep in mind, in my childhood, there weren't computers and stuff. I had a Super 8 film camera, a Super 8 projector, you know, those were my gadgets of the day. There were no cell phones at that time. Um, but, yeah, horror films were, you know, and it was during that the heyday of, you know, all that great stuff was in the theaters, Friday the 13th and oh, the yeah. original Nightmare on Elm Street. I say that now and all the kids are thinking, but that was just in theaters a couple years ago. Yeah. No, no, not the remakes. No. I'm talking and about the remakes. The and I don't say this just to be a snob. I don't particularly care for horror nowadays. I like the old stuff. Well, I, I, I don't watch horror movies anymore, really. I mean, I, I try to watch a few, like George Romero, the, you know, who did Night of the Living Dead and of all that stuff out of Pittsburgh. I try to, but even his recent stuff, it just doesn't feel the same. It's not the same as it used to be. I, no. I don't know. I can't. I, and, and it doesn't help that they're making remake after remake after remake. And, Almost shot for shot, some of them. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing the Nightmare on Elm Street remake trailer, which I haven't seen the movie, but um, everybody told me there was no point because it's just like the original, but except all the kids are depressed and dark now. Um, but but there were sh- literally shots right out of it that yeah. were right out of the original. And I'm like, well, what's the point? Exactly. You know, just run the is old not one. Like, this is not like the 80s when we were remaking movies like The Thing or The Fly or, you know, those movies, some of those movies were black and white, you know, yeah. so they, they wanted to revamp them with new special effects and all that kind of... And they, they actually made halfway decent movies of them back you know in the 80s where now it just seems like really rehashed but well even going farther back i mean the new king kong is horrible the original king kong even with its wretched special effects there was character to the kong there was absolutely there was something about it and it scared the crap out of me when i was little when she's being tied up and the the trees are moving and the little claymation thing comes out that scared the crap out of me when i was little yeah, and I missed the, I don't know, anyone else's area, but around here, that was always a Thanksgiving tradition. They would play King Kong and Mighty Joe Young back-to-back on my oh, UH, yes. one of my UHF channels. I think ever, pretty much everywhere they did that. But I, I even liked the 70s King Kong even with 
it was bad, but it was camp. It was campy, but yeah. you know what? I would I would take that over Peter Jackson's King Kong any day. I mean, yeah, it's it's a big difference. Night of the Living Dead, 25th anniversary documentary from 1993. I've actually watched that. Have you really? Yeah, yeah that was something I produced uh, with a friend of mine, Tom Brown, who was a local filmmaker out of Zanesville, Ohio, and uh, we were both Night of the Living Dead nuts, and we somehow oh, I, oh well, actually, I know how we were. I was doing some some work with John Russo, who was the co-writer of Night of the Living Dead, and and uh, we I pitched the idea to him, and. He said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. They had a big convention coming up in Pittsburgh called the Zombie Jamboree in, in 1993. So we did a roundtable with George Romero and, and Russo and the, a couple of the other creators and then flew around to different places and talked to different filmmakers like Wes Craven and Sam Raimi and Toby Hooper and all these guys that are well-known in the, the horror genre to get their take on it and put this little documentary together. And That was the excuse, though, right? Making the documentary was an excuse so you get to meet all these guys. <laughs> um, some of them I already knew, actually. But, uh, but uh, yeah, of course. I mean, the, actually, the, I, I think the most fun one was interviewing John Landis, who, of course, is legendary for America Werewolf in London as well Absolutely. as Blues Brothers and you name it, any number of other movies. But he, we interviewed him on the Universal Studios lot because he was still had an office there. And he took us, he snuck us through the line and took us to what was then the brand new backdraft exhibit. I don't oh, know if, sweet. if anybody's ever been on that, but he's like, he's like, just forget all this fire safety crap. You got to go right to the, you know, right to the main stage and see this fire. And so he took us in there personally and got us in there. And that was probably the coolest part of that whole shooting, that whole documentary. You know, the thing is the, these guys make their living doing stuff like that, but you could tell they still dig it. Some of them. Well, he, I mean, John Landis totally is, 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 I think even to this day is still a big fanboy. him and, and guys like Joe Dante who did the howling and stuff like that. I, I think mean, that yeah. makes them better than some of the other contemporaries where you can see they're just phoning it in. It's just, yeah, a there's more heart. There's more heart to it. You, yep. believe, you know, you, you see their movies and they just seem more authentic to, you know? So what are you preferring at this point in your life? I mean, you're, you're, I don't want to say middle age, but because I want to oh, assume that you and us, you, the, I think we're going to live past our mid 80s, I hope, anyways. I don't know. I'm a smoker, so I might be middle aged right now. Well, I'll probably um, have you beat there because I'm a non smoker. So. Yeah, so you'll, you'll go to like 125. <laughs> oh, jeez. I've, I've got another three weeks. Um, <laughs> me too. Uh, do you prefer the writing at this point, or do you. Are you getting I kind of do. I mean, I, I still keep my toes in the the horror stuff because I have a, a DVD label called Tempe DVD where I, I distribute my old stuff and and stuff from newer independent filmmakers. So I, I kind of have one foot in that and one foot in the technology stuff. But really, for me, I'm I'm way more passionate about the Mac and the Apple stuff um, these days. I mean, I always have been, but. The filmmaking stuff, it's it's you know, it's kind of that's like hard work. You got to go out of your house and. And actually, like, you know, find locations and deal. you have to deal with tons of people. It's not like I've always said this. It's like it's not like a painter with a canvas where you can just sit in a room and paint and come up with this creation or even a musician who can sit in a studio, you know, especially and... nowadays. Yeah, you can bang out a, a song completely by yourself. It, it, you can't really make a movie by yourself. You have to at least have an actor or a couple actors or, you know, one other guy that's going to help you set up lights and stuff. And it's it's I think that's what burned me out on it more than anything after. 25 years of, of doing it was just, you know, it was just, it's, it's a grind. Kind of a, uh, yeah, it, it is a grind. It yeah. is work. And then when you're doing it on a low budget level where you're, you know, writing, producing, directing, editing, you know, setting up your own lights, you're doing a lot, you know, you don't have a lot of money and you're, and sometimes you're doing work for higher movies where you don't have a lot of time. Um, it just kind of, 
it becomes a drag. I know people think I'm crazy, and I've talked to people over the years that are like, when are you going to make another movie? It's like, I'm not going to say I'm, I call myself semi-retired. I'm not, I haven't given it up completely, but it's just, you know, the the, the life I have now being married again and, and now having a 20-month-old son, Yeah. Um, it's just so much cooler to wake up in the morning and my family's here and the cat and the dog are here and I go in and I write for a little bit and I do, you know, this, that and the other thing throughout the day. And it, it's just a much, uh, much better lifestyle for my 44 years of age, I guess. We change. I mean, you know, the, the things that we thought were cool when we were 20 is different when you're 30 and you're 40 and I'm sure 50, 60, 70 going ahead. And, you know, if you don't change with the times, you're just going to get completely bored with it, I think. Yeah, and, and and it's not the not totally the first time that I've gotten discouraged by the the independent filmmaking stuff. I mean, like I said, it's it's you know it is tough work. It's it's you know it's a, a sometimes thankless job because you can work months on a movie and then you know people don't like it or it doesn't sell very well or you know who knows what what the life of that movie is going to be. And it, it does get discouraging sometimes. You know, but if you get a call from the studio and they say. Uh, you know, we've looked at your work and we think you'd be a great director for the new Superman movie. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know, because I, I'm savvy enough to know other filmmakers who have come through the ranks and have done that. And those are those are headaches. I don't know if I want to deal with either. Sure, you're making lots of money and there's prestige and all that. But with a, have learned because I've basically made movies from literally a few thousand dollars up to probably the biggest thing I did was wound up being about a million bucks. It was this William Shatner thing called Groom Lake, which was a total nightmare to make. And the more money that you have, sometimes the bigger the headaches are. Yeah, I understand. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's more, you know, if you have $10,000 of your of your own money that you're going to go out and make a movie with and, and you have complete creative autonomy, sometimes that's more fun than, you know, doing these other things that, that would to other people would sound cool, but really are not. <laughs> so how'd you get involved in the whole tech scene? Um, well, I mean, I don't know that I am in the tech scene. I guess I am now, right? Well, I mean, you're a writer <laughs> at Mac Life. I mean, that's, yeah. that's almost the definition at this point, I would think. Well, like I, like I said, I guess I, I made that, that, that stepping stone from Digital Video Magazine to uh, into Mac Life, and I guess I kind of I have put myself in the tech scene now, and, and you came calling, so I guess uh, I guess I must be... Semi-legitimate, at least. You know, the thing is with uh, OWC Radio and the MyMac Podcast and now Tech Fan, um, I've always decided who I want to have on the show. I've never had anyone say, I've had suggestions, hey, you should go talk to this guy. And if I think that's great, I'll go talk to that person. But no one's ever said, you have to interview this person or I'm going to shoot you. Um, (laughs) Because I would. Um, (laughs) It's nice to have that creative freedom, though. Absolutely. When you own the content yourself, um, I go and look for people that I think is going to be interesting to talk to. And, of course, I found you because of Mac Life. But then I looked into your background. I was like, this guy would be great to interview. Well, and that's um, what's when – you, when you contacted me, I thought, boy, you know, this is kind of funny because I, I've done literally probably thousands of, of interviews over 25 years talking about all these movies. But I've never – nobody's ever come calling asking me about the – the technology stuff and the and the writing, which is a more recent endeavor, really. So Do you think it was just whole, kind, of, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, there was a big film scene in uh, the 70s and the 80s, and there was a whole culture around it. And it seems like we have that around the tech industry now. There's this whole culture that surrounds tech, whether it's Mac heads or Android or the Twitter people or people obsessed with Facebook. It seems to be all about the technology nowadays. Do you think that's surprising? 
I don't think it's surprising. I, I yeah, I think I think you may be right. I mean, people like me who you know, I, I was really hardcore into the independent filmmaking scene back in those days, and I, I started. I graduated from high school in '84 and and started on my first feature, and in, in you know a year later in '85, um, you know, you would have never, I would have never thought. There's no way you would drag me away from that kind of stuff, but. You know, over the years, I mean, the Mac. I think I got my first Mac in, uh, let me think, '93. Probably I had had used a Commodore Amiga prior to that. Believe it or not. So you probably had and, like a Performa or something like that. Uh, I, yeah, I think it was a Quadra Six Ten, oh. if I remember correctly. And it was like it was right on its way out, so I got it cheap. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I mean, I, I I once from that point on, really, I've been kind of just as Mac crazy as I was film crazy, and then. Sort of over time, I, I realized, well, I'm kind of more Mac crazy than I am film crazy. <laughs> but how can I get paid to be Mac crazy? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my obsession I'm, too. I'm I'm, uh, I'm uh, feeding Steve Jobs kids. How come? How do I get paid out of this deal? <laughs> you know, I was I was uh, obsessed with the Mac in, in some regards, but really for me, when I started my Mac, I started my Mac because I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write for either Stereo Review magazine, which doesn't exist anymore. Interesting. Or I wanted to become a comic book writer. And ah, that's I, a tough job. Yeah, I know. Um, and then I found out how much they got paid, and I said, screw that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, you know, but what I really need to do is just practice my writings. But what am I going to write about? Well, I was way into the max at the time. Uh, I was doing a lot of stuff online as far as BBSs and vetting software and writing small reviews. And I thought, I'll just do that. Um, do you remember the Doc Maker format? The, the sure. software, yeah. That's what sure. my Mac started on was DocMaker. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, there was something about it that I could format it the way I wanted it with pictures, um, and it will look exactly that way on every other person's Mac. Yep. Unlike a document, who knows what's going to happen if they don't have the program linked. Ugh, it was just a nightmare. So that was really the, the reason that I started my Mac, so I could play with the software and practice my writing ability. I had no idea that, you know, all these years later, 15 years later, I'm still going to be doing it. You know, I think you just hit on the head of, of, of how it compares to the old independent filmmaking days because, you know, software is a lot like um, discovering some new, I'll use horror movie because that's that was my thing growing up. But, you know, when you would make that discovery of something that just changed your life sounds a little, more, you know, bigger than it than it probably is. But, but it is. You know, if, I mean, if it's you find true. a cool piece of shareware, or you find some, something that makes your life easier in some way, it's very similar to, you know, finding some little gem of some trashy B-movie that, that, you know, probably 15 other people know about or something. Um, they're, they're similar, I think. There's a, there's a cult sort of uh, thing about it, I guess. And, and, I mean, unfortunately, it's weird for us that have been following the Mac for a while because now, you know, I go, I, you know the iPhone is, and is everywhere and the iPod Touch is everywhere. Everywhere you go, you see them. Yeah. You know, it's so mainstream now that, that it's kind That's of That's almost tr- weird. Yeah, it's a weird transition for people who were around because you know I was there in the dark days prior to even when Steve Jobs came back and all yeah. that, and you know, and I had a power computing clone, and you know, I was I was involved in those days when you know working on the movies and still using the computer for for all that stuff, and uh, it's it's weird to see that dynamic how it's switched over that amount, of, you know, in that in not a long period of time, really. No, not really. When you think I say fifteen years ago, and it doesn't. That doesn't sound like a long time ago, but of course I was 25 and I'm 40 now. And there's big changes between those two ages. And internet years are different than yeah. regular years. 
I think <laughs> internet's true. closer to dog years than people years, you know? Exactly. You go well, back... the, old, the old timers are the guys that had like the, uh, if you had a 96 or even a 2400 baud modem, you're an old timer. Yeah, I did. As far as technology goes. I, 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 had, a, I had a 1200. Oh actually, my God. Actually, my first one was a 300 baud modem. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember calling into a Chicago Mac BBS and downloading some text file that was like, I'm going to say 300K. And it literally took all night to do it. Oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. That, now, the, now you you use that example. We've really come a long way. Oh yeah, but here's the other thing for me, anyways. I studied um, in school to be into broadcasting, either behind the camera, directing, or being a radio DJ. That was really the thing that I really wanted to do. And yet here I am. My Mac stuff that I started in '95 led me to podcasting. I mean, yeah. you know, and we I started podcasting right at the beginning, pretty much. Um, it, it's just amazing to me that it's it all started, really, it did start for me for or with DocMaker. So when you say it, it, that's kind of probably putting too fine of a word on it, saying it's life-changing. It was life-changing for me. Right. And I remember, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I did reviews back in the day of small, independent shareware makers who's you know the only thing they did was they made some icons that were kind of cool <laughs> you know but sure. but they're at big companies programmings now or in marketing and it's like you know what i knew that guy when he was making uh you remember when copeland was the big news they uh-huh. were they were making copeland like icons for the classic mac and that was how they got their name you know wow so it it's kind of strange that we all started a certain place thinking we're going a certain direction. We some, we end up somewhere completely different. Yeah. Sometimes it happens. Uh, definitely in my case, that was, uh, seems to have been the, seems, seems to be what happened. So do you have a big master plan where you want to go next? What you want to do next? I mean, no, I, I don't really. I mean, I'm, I'm having fun with, uh, with Mac life and, and Robbie and Flo, the two online editors over there seem to like what I'm doing. And, you know, until they decide to kick me to the curb, I'll, uh, you know, I'll probably just keep doing that. I, I've, you know, I've sniffed around a little bit with other uh, non-competing websites that, you know, that are just focused on the iPhone or stuff like that. Sure. And I thought, well, I still have a few hours during the day where I can do other stuff. But really, I mean, I, I do a lot of freelance work. I cut a lot of uh, film trailers for other companies that, you know, go to like the Cannes Film Festival and the, the markets and stuff trying to sell movies. And between that stuff and my DVD business and the Mac Life stuff, that kind of, you know, my my days are pretty much consumed. It leaves whatever time's left is is family time. So, uh, is it for you? Is it the iOS or the macOS? Which one are you more obsessed with? Uh, boy, you know, I I think uh, I think it has to. I have to say it's equal. But you know, I have an iPad. I have I've had every version of the iPhone. Um, you know, I do a lot of jailbreak hackery and all that and, and any of that kind of stuff. I I just have to try it out. You know, why not? Um, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, I, I I wonder when the day is going to come where Mac OS is going to just fade, you know, into oblivion or maybe not total oblivion. But and it, and it's all going to be iOS. I I'm kind of concerned about that. Yeah, but a lot of people were concerned back in the day when the Mac OS nine was going to give way to Mac OS ten and it was going to be totally different. I was an IT manager at the time. You want to talk about fear? Yeah, um, of course. Oh my God, we're going to have to support this. I don't know Unix. What am I going to do? I'm oh, a, they, I, they just killed my career at Apple. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I, I remember booting up that first Mac OS X public beta that you were, we were talking about earlier, and it's like, boy, I don't know. You know, I, I kept it on my computer, but it's like, I don't know what, what we're going to do with this. I don't know where this is going. You yeah. know, and, and you look back on it now, it's you know, we're up to Snow Leopard, and it's like, boy, you know, I would have never seen that coming all these years later. But, but I, I, still, I still, love my, still love my Mac, so I don't know. I do, too. I'm just more excited about iOS and the portable computing scene right now. Maybe it's because uh, yeah, we've mean, been in it I... so long. You know, we're, we're so used to and entrenched with the Mac OS. Even though, let's be honest, Snow Leopard is fantastic. At its core, when you're use, using a Mac, it's not all that different than it was 15, 20 years ago. Right. Fundamentally, it's Fundamentally, the same. Fundamentally, it's the same thing, yep. you know. Yep. Uh, whereas these small portable devices, especially for me, the iPad. I mean, I got the iPhone 4. I've had all the iPhones as well. But the iPad is really a game changer to me. It's, Absolutely, it's you. I, you can do stuff with it. It's. I'm just infatuated with this device, and I think that that's the second greatest thing Apple has ever created outside the Macintosh itself. And I don't know if people view it that way. Um, I think they will. I, mean, I, I know it's popular, but I think a lot of people don't quite see. Which it's hard to believe that they can't because you see the vision of the iPhone, how far it's come in those four years, and to imagine where the iPad's going to be in four years. You know, that's the thing. Um, I was excited about the iPad when they made the announcement. Um, I had a special OWC radio at the time. I had John Martellaro from uh, the Mac Observer, Steve Sandy from uh, the unofficial Apple weblog come on the show, and we talked about it, and I was real excited about it. But then I got burned out about it really quickly. And I thought, well, maybe this is just – it's just a big iPod touch, you know. Maybe I'm making too much of this. But then I got my hands on one. And yeah, and it's a different. That's a different experience once you've done that for sure. Well, within 24 hours, I was like, you know what, this is changing everything. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was a little underwhelmed when they announced it, and and you know, uh, seeing the video of Steve Jobs on stage playing with it, I'm like, yeah, but it's just kind of. It is. It's just a bigger iPod Touch or whatever. But, but that's then, what makes it great when you. Yeah, get but it. then you use it, and then you realize, well, wait a second. There's a lot more going on here that you just can't. He. It's hard to sell it without using it. You yeah, have to touch, you have to touch it. You have to hold it in your hands. You have to, you know. And, and I do so much stuff on it. I've rediscovered my love of old comic books because I have <laughs> comic zeal. I, you know, I, I, I'm constantly throwing articles into Instapaper and reading it on on there. And, and I use it. You know, I used to sit and watch TV at night and Netflix. And I would be on the oh, yeah exactly, and I'd be on my iPhone. And now I find I'm almost always on the iPad at the same time as I'm you know I'm sitting here multitasking, watching TV and and doing something on the iPad. So the iPads replaced the iPhone in that regard it's, because it's a bigger screen, it's a better user experience at that time you know for that kind of stuff. It's replaced my desktop or my desktop and my laptop for the most part when I'm at home not doing you know real work. Yeah. Um, it's just if I'm going to check a website, if I want to check the weather, whatever I want to do, the iPad is right there. I don't have to get up, so it supports my laziness. That's <laughs> yeah. We good. just we just went on a family vacation, and I was like, boy, I kind of want to just leave my my laptop at home and not take my MacBook Pro. And and I thought, well, I'm going to take it. I'm going to, but you know what? It spent 95 percent of the time in the suitcase. Yep. And I and I and the rest of the time it was all the iPad and the iPhone. I mean, I had so it turns out I had kind of lousy uh connection there anyways there was no 3g service we were out in south dakota and i was seeing mount rushmore and that's verizon country so i was i was uh really uh sol yeah i was in the boonies big yeah. time <laughs> so uh it, anybody listening to this watch and there's let's pretend that they're uh, ios users which i'm going to imagine are, are most people that are listening to the show 
Um, what applications, one or two, do you think they have to have? Uh, iPhone well, or iPad, it doesn't matter. I, and the, the first one that immediately springs to mind is actually available for both. But um, if you do any kind of RSS feeds, you have to get Reader for iPhone and, and separately for the iPad. And, and now I, I see they're, he's developing it for the Mac as well. But that, hands down, is easily the best RSS feed reader I've, I've ever... I mean, I almost don't like... Um, you know, reading stuff on the Mac, I prefer to, to read it on, on preferably the iPad, but I'll do it on the I, iPhone as well. But that, that would be the first one, and probably Instapaper, which I just mentioned, um, just because throughout the day I'll see articles that I don't necessarily want to sit and read right at that moment, and I'll just click that Read Later button, and you know, then later that night or a week later or six months later if I want it to be. Yeah, explain what Instapaper is, because not everybody really gets that. Um, it's basically this fantastic little you know uh bookmarklet is what is what it essentially started as it basically saves an article it saves the text of an article in a nice clean form where you could read it on the the website and then of course there's an iphone app and and uh, it's universal so it, it plays with the the ipad as well and it basically just allows you to read articles at your convenience you know and and cleaned up without all the the ads and the noise you know that that a lot of these websites have uh, but you can click a button and 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 see it, you know, browse it on the actual web page as well. And I mean, that to me, that since I discovered that application, that's that's easily hands down one of my one of my favorite apps for sure. I gotta agree, it's great, it's fantastic. So, where can listeners go and find out more information about you online? Well, I, I keep uh, jrbookwalter.com as kind of my personal blog, but I, I, since I've started blogging for MacLife, I find I, I don't have as much time or inclination to write yeah. there. I hear you. Um, I uh, I'm on Twitter as JRB Tempe. I'm on uh, uh, Facebook uh, JR Bookwalter, Facebook.com slash JR Bookwalter. Um, those are probably my my main hangouts. I, I can't say I'm a big Facebook junkie. I don't and I don't use it anywhere near as much as some people that I know that that practically live on there. But uh, you know, those are those are probably the key. And of course, Mac Life. I mean, that's where I'm I'm committing. That's most where of I my, found you. Yeah, that's where I'm committing <laughs> most of my time to, and uh, and happy to do so. As we wrap up this week's show, I've got a little audio from John Imarovsky. He's the reviews editor over at MyMac.com. He sent some a little three, three four-minute interview that he did with, uh, I don't even know who she is, just some lady. But he sent it to me, said, hey, if you want to use it on the podcast, it'd be great, Tim. So I'm going to put it here at the end of the show. I haven't even listened to it yet, so I'm going to assume that's not full of you know profanity or anything like that. But, JR, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. And, gosh, I hope you don't get shot. <laughs> I hope not. Either. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Appreciate it.